Today, we have this amazing conversation. It's actually a two-parter with Sandra Pelletier, the CEO of Evofem Biosciences. Because Evofem has FDA-regulated products, we have been required to put a disclaimer at the end of each part, and we will do that. Um, We want to thank the FDA for allowing us to have this amazing conversation with a woman who never gave up, who's resilient, and is going to continue to live her purpose to change the lives of women in the developed world and ultimately the developing world. So join me on this amazing conversation. It will give you chills. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to uplevel your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Today's conversation is for anyone who's an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur in their companies who want inspiration from an individual, a woman who just never gave up. She never gave up because she had a huge vision growing up in a little tiny town, Caribou, Maine, on the border of Canada in northern Maine. A woman who wanted to learn and wanted to truly make an impact in the world. Sandra Pelletier's story is one of tremendous struggles, barriers, but one of never giving up. She is the CEO of EvoFem Biosciences. They're on the NASDAQ. It's EVFM. They're a commercial stage biopharmaceutical company committed to developing, commercializing, innovative products to address unmet needs in women's sexual and reproductive health, including hormone-free, woman-controlled contraception and protection from certain sexually transmitted diseases. Sandra is a woman who just doesn't give up, and she's going to share with us what drives her forward and why what she has created in this new hormonal gel for women for women's contraception to empower women, whether in the developed world, which is where she's introducing the product in the United States, but ultimately her vision is to help empower women in their birth control around the globe. It's an amazing story. So join us and you're going to learn about this powerhouse, Sandra Pelletier. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I first want to talk about who you are. 
And, you know, you grew up in Maine. Your mother had significant um, suggestions for you about where you should, what you should do. And you also left Maine. So just talk a little bit about your upbringing. And we're going to explore the characteristics of an entrepreneur, the characteristics of a female leader. And we're going to talk about resilience. But just talk about the earliest years. Well, thank you. Um, So uh, the earliest years were very, very tough. I came from a very meager background and upbringing. And literally, I live now in San Diego, which is the furthest point you can fly to from where I grew up (laughs) in a place called Caribou, Maine. So it's on the border of New Brunswick, Canada. And really where I grew up, women were actually told and they were raised to believe that their choices were two things. They could choose who they married and they could choose how many kids they had. But that was it. Even leaving the county line wasn't really suggested to to women or girls. And so my mother had 13 brothers and sisters. She grew up on a farm with outdoor plumbing. And my mother was very deliberate. She basically said to me, look, domestic skills, cooking and cleaning are never going to get you out of here. And you need to learn things like how to balance a checkbook, how to manage your time, and really figure out how to leave here and never come back. Now, you would think I would be hurt by that because, you know, at that moment in time, (laughs) I had never really been anywhere. But in her view, she really cared very passionately that, as all good mothers do, right, they want their children's lives to be better than their own. But in kindergarten, and I have a picture to prove this, she used to drive, she used to make me go to school wearing suits and carrying a briefcase. (laughs) And I would say to her, I really want to carry a lunchbox. And she would say, no, you absolutely can't. And so there's pictures and where she found these suits, it's unknown to me. But I will tell you that, um, so I came from a place where equality really wasn't thought about or talked about, that women really just had the caregiver roles. And that was my first moment when I really wanted to recognize that women should have an equal say in every aspect of life. So talk a little bit about your journey, because you worked for G.D. Searle mm-hmm. and um, a fairly long time. And I bet it was very old boys culture. And so how did you make your mark there? Yeah. So one thing that I think is an incredible gift about being the CEO now of a biotech company is that I have done every job. Every job when I hire people to do it, I've also done that job. And I think that gives a a lot of credibility to my leadership. And so I started out in the field carrying a bag and I called on OBGYNs. I had women's healthcare products, but I actually joked that I had an invisible sign on my forehead that said sucker because I had two states. (laughs) I covered Maine and New Hampshire and I didn't know any better. You know, you have no idea what you can't do. And so I was a sales rep. Then I went into sales management. Then I went into sales training. Then I went into U.S. marketing, international marketing. But where I got my most education and expertise was in a division called Global New Business. And what I did was I was trained on how to identify which assets in our portfolio we should license, which ones we should divest, and what were the different issues around the world that would make you launch a profitable asset for women? What were the political issues? What were the religious issues? What were the socioeconomic issues? And so to really understand what do women want, you know, and what can you deliver for them? So Searle was a wonderful stepping stone for me to get a great education and do a lot of market research, quantitative and qualitative on women and their mindset when they don't want to get pregnant and when they do want to get pregnant. So it was very, very helpful. And you also took a personal trip to Africa. 
And that also molded you. Can you share what was so special about that? There are some things in our lives that are game changing, right? There are these aha moments. And when I went to Africa, I took the time to go to urban and rural settings. Now, really, I was there for a safari with a friend of mine. That was her bucket list, her lifelong dream. And I went with her. But for me, what shocked me is one, of course, you see all the poverty and you know that exists, but one, to really see the inequity that happened, like these young girls having their periods and using rags or using cow dung, like never having access to simple things that we take for granted. But more importantly, is seeing these women desperate to not have more children than they could feed, than they could educate, than they could care for. They would walk two days to a clinic to try to get access to birth control so they didn't have to have another baby that would die prematurely. So it profoundly hit me that women are these amazing creatures, right? That make the world work and go forward, but we're the same no matter where we are in the world. That was the big moment for me that these women in Africa are the same as women in New York City or San Diego or anywhere else, that their goal, right, is to create this really amazing life for their kids, but they don't have access to anything. So I knew that if I had the chance to deliver something that was really innovative to women all over the world, that it would really make a huge difference. So you had this confluence of your Searle experience and learning about the you know, the professional ways to go to market, to understand market needs. And then you had this personal epiphany. And so about how old were you when you started thinking, hmm, I've got to put these two together? Because you also then founded a not-for-profit. Yeah. So what's what's the cadence of that? Well, so really the cadence was in... So after all of this education and information that I had gathered, um, at one point in my career, Searle was actually sold at the time to Pharmacia. And for me, I was actually offered an opportunity, but not working in women's health in a different therapeutic area. And at that moment, why it was so significant is that I said, why would you offer me a job in a different therapeutic area? I, my whole career has been in women's health. And the comment back to me was, Look, we are, we are offering you a position based on your ability to deliver profit, to execute. It doesn't matter to us, the therapeutic area. And basically that was, I felt very naive, sort of like Ellie Mae from, you know, I was like the girl from the farm where, yeah, I was like the Clampets where I, they said, you know, look, sweetheart, you know, we, we, we want good people and it doesn't matter to us that you want to be in women's health. So in 2009, the Susan B. Thompson Buffett organization was looking to create a sustainable nonprofit and they wanted to focus on women's health. And the bottom line was, is they had interviewed, they'd interviewed a lot of private sector people. They interviewed a lot of public sector people, but they couldn't find anybody that believed in a hybrid notion. And what I mean by that is that donations don't work. They do not work. It is temporary. And even women in the poorest villages say, I don't want the poor woman's product. I don't want you to give me your leftover garbage. I want the white woman's product. I want the same, treated with the same decency, with the same quality product. And I don't want these other products. And so I really knew. So when I was first contacted about creating this business plan and launching this company, which was called Women Care Global, at first I thought, you know, I'm very flattered, but you have to lose my number. I, I just, it just seemed like, you know, such an incredible undertaking. And to be candid, you know, like you said, sometimes what you choose chooses you. 
and I couldn't shake it off. I knew that I was the right person. I knew that I understand more money, more mission. I am capitalistic and mission driven. And to find somebody like that, to care about women's health in a meaningful way, um, I understood that I needed to do it. And so long story short, we launched that company and it's now um, fully funded by USAID and it's considered the product introduction platform for contraception in emerging markets. So it was a really wonderful way to use all my skills that I had learned and really put them to use and prove to myself, right? Because, you know, sometimes we think we could do something, but if you don't really go out and make an effort to try, you know, those are just your own arrogant thoughts. So I really got a good dose of reality figuring out how to launch products in these in these markets. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. How do you create a product that has to be approved by the FDA? So Sandra said she raised over four hundred and twenty five million dollars to drive her company forward. She has about 150 employees. It took, and this is about resilience and vision, 10 years to bring her first product, Bexy, to marketplace. The investment to date on that product was $175 million. And it certainly wasn't a straight road to success. I asked Sandra, how many twists and turns of significance did it take to get FDA approval? She laughed and she said, eh, I think over 40. And then lastly, I asked her, if you are a cat, and my listeners know I love cats, and, you know, cats have nine lives, how many have you sacrificed so far? And she laughed again and said about seven. So now let's bridge to EvoFem, which wasn't even called that, it had a different kind of a name. And so how did you jump from one to the next and then talk about your 10-year journey to develop Fexi? EvoFem, I knew that EvoFem had a product that I considered game-changing. And the reason I considered game-changing is that one, for birth control, it has no hormones. Women only use it when they need it. So one, I knew that EvoFem had this asset developed by Rush University at the time. You know, those things that sometimes, you know, you have to figure out, scratch each other's back. Well, they wanted, they needed an executive to help them turn the company around. They were failing. It was an all-male board, all-male executives. And I wanted access to that asset for Africa, Asia, and Latin America. So when I met with the founders, the original deal was that they basically wanted me to leave Women Care Global and go and run their entity. And I said, I can never do that. Women Care Global is not my job. It is a huge part of my heart and I'm never abandoning it to go and work for you. I'm just never doing it. And so that was shocking to them, right? And so I said, but how about we make a deal? So we did a service agreement for three years where I would hire staff, help them raise money, replace myself. And in perpetuity, they would give me Women Care Global Access, Africa, Asia, Latin America. So the quick final thing is that after I was there about a year and a half, the investors came in and basically identified that the decisions I was making were the decisions that they wanted to support. 
So they asked me if I would take that company public. But I said, look, the only way I can do that is if we reconstitute. We have to start with a new board, a new staff. This has to be my way with my selections. And I need to be able to pick people who I really believe are going to help me on this journey. And that cold comment, watch what you wish for. Um, and they said, yeah, they said, okay, we're in. So, so in 2015, basically that's, this was 2014, 2015 timeframe. That's when I separated Evofem Biosciences, which is now from the parent company and exited physically and structurally and started developing Evofem Biosciences. And you have been on a wild ride since. Oh my goodness, Carol. Let's take a break and find out what else is happening besides this podcast that you may want to know about. In our In the Know segment, you're going to find themes that tie together of things that really interest me and that I share with our clients. Today is another piece of great research from Morning Consult. It's called Great Expectations, the Evolving Role of Companies in a Post-Election World. It was conducted from September 11th through 13th with 2,200 adults in the United States. And it really wanted to dive into, in this polarized world, what truly is the role of companies and brands in our ever-changing society and polarized society? Well, here are some of the top findings, and it's a 58-page report, and I'm sure you're going to want to download it and really dive into it. What are some of the key issues that consumers have expectations of companies and brands? climate change, safe and fair elections, and economic issues are the top areas where most Americans want corporations to use their influence. As well, stakeholder capitalism is here to stay. You know that I that I we covered and talked about the Just 100 um, in an In the No segment um, a couple of shows ago. Please follow Just Capital. They are one of my favorites, and they truly ask Americans what constitutes a just company. Well, in the morning consult research, 41% of Americans think companies should put shareholders last and prioritize their employees and customers. If you prioritize your employees, and we talk about this again with all of our guests, if employees are at the center of purpose to really have a greater impact on the world than just making profits. You become a recruitment magnet. And I hear this again and again and again. Just 100, um, you know, reiterates that. Um, This new morning consult research um, and, and many pieces of research that I have done as well. Again, employees are your engine to driving your purpose forward and for authenticity. So check out this Morning Consult new piece of research. It's extraordinary. And all of these efforts from Just Capital, Morning Consult, Harris, ourselves, and others, it truly shows that purpose is here to stay. It is an organizational strategy for exceptional growth and societal impact. Now back to our conversation with Sandra.
you talk about, you know, on your website that your Evofem's sole purpose is also your S-O-U-L purpose. And it is to improve the lives of women. So it's interesting that you've got this hard core, you're going to have, you know, go for FDA approval on a drug, but you also want to empower women. And so how did you make sure you had the right drug, but how did you make sure that you had both running and integrated so you weren't patted on the head like I had been so many times in my career? Oh, aren't you sweet? It's philanthropic, et cetera. Well, that's a great question, by the way, because so, so one, this might stagger you. In the United States, there are 21 million women right now that will tell you they are beyond hormones. And right now, these women are having sex. They're using no form of hormonal birth control because they, they, you know what women say, Carol, they say, look, I don't have sex every day. On average, women have sex twice a week. So the idea that you're going to ingest a synthetic hormone in your body, right? Every day, every week, everyone, some women go on birth control for 20 years. And if you're suffering, no man would ever do that, by the way. There's no chance in hell a man would take a drug every day when he doesn't even need it every day if he's suffering from side effects. So so that's number one. And number two, women are saying, look, I don't have hormones in my milk or my meat. Why am I going to put it in my body? So, so why I am passionate about how this empowers women is that men have been able to go out with a condom in their pocket, have sex with women and not get them pregnant. Well, women don't have that empowerment. Well, now they do because our product Fexy allows women, and I mean this, to have sex on demand when they want to, not when they don't. They can protect themselves. And the product Fexy comes in a pre-filled applicator. So a prescription is a box of 12 pre-filled applicators. And it's very simple and discreet. Many women have used tampons. So you put the applicator in, you squeeze out the gel, you throw away the applicator, and then you can have sex immediately or within an hour. But the beauty of this is that the product is very viscous. So the gel is thick, stays in the vaginal cavity. Women aren't going to use something that leaks out. And you also say in your materials that you can also make it part of foreplay. So there's, there's lots of things that you, that you can do with it. So what does it mean to you go further about being a company with a conscious? Because you're talking about U.S. distribution, Yep. And I know you've negotiated with, with payers and it may be a zero copay, so you could talk about it. But you also still want to take it overseas to the developing world. Yep. So you have it and you had a brutal journey to get FDA approval. Brutal. So let, brutal. let's unpack that. So talk about okay. the journey to FDA approval because you went through wicked twists and turns. So the FDA journey was very long and arduous because the previous team of people before I took it over fully with my team, they submitted an application to the FDA after doing a study with 3,400 women, which is the largest contraceptive study of its kind. And they received a complete response letter. So when my team came to the table, the database had already been locked. There was nothing we could do to change it. So imagine this, we my, brought this whole team together and on Halloween, the FDA said, I'm sorry, we're not gonna approve you. It was one of the most devastating days. Now, the one thing I want you to know is that only 14% of drugs that are submitted to the FDA are actually approved. The reason we got a complete response letter is because out of the 3,400 patients, 20% were from Russia. And the FDA said, look, the Russian data is not generalizable to the U.S. population, and you have to extract it. Once we extracted it, we still met our endpoints, but the FDA said the analysis was considered post hoc, 
And therefore we had to do one more phase three study. So imagine this. We then are in a place where we have a complete response letter. We don't have enough money to go forward. We couldn't do a phase three study without getting money. And it was, imagine trying to get money when you've just gotten a non-approval from the FDA. So I had to get on a plane. And at that time, our investors were in London. I literally left the FDA meeting, went to the airport and flew to London, called them on my way to the airport and said, I'm coming to London and you have to see me. And I sat down with them in person and said, here's my plea, which I wrote on the plane. So at that point, I'd been up for two days, seriously. So I didn't look too great, but I put together a plan to say, this is why you should support us. This is why you can try. And then I said, measure everything I say. And if I fail on one thing, off with my head. So our current investors gave us $40 million to move forward. And then we were very deliberate. We got a new clinical research organization. I had a new regulatory team, a new chief medical officer. And then we moved forward with the study so that we could now, by the way, the FDA agreed we could do half the patients in half the time. So our last study was just 1400 women. And the FDA actually even said to us, we think non-hormonal is critical in the category of contraception. So they were supportive, but we had to do this other study because the first group included Russian data, which wasn't pre-agreed upon with the FDA. And and so you also had a tragedy with some of your personnel in the middle of this. You might, again, there's a key theme here about resilience and that having your vision to get, really get what's on the horizon. But can you talk just a bit about that tragedy? Um, because it, it really, you know, was something that no company wants to go through. So our head researcher was flying to meet with the FDA with us. And we were there waiting for him to arrive. And he chose to take his own small personal plane with his associate researcher. And his plane crashed on the way to the FDA into a home, killed a woman and her small child and her baby and killed both of them while we were at the FDA waiting for them to arrive. It was Carol, I promise you this. This is like some kind of a crazy movie, right? We get a complete response letter with the FDA. We have to go meet with the FDA. Then we don't have any money to move forward. During that time, our head of research died in a plane crash. So it was one thing after the other. And some people said to me, these are all signs that you should throw in the towel. You should throw in the towel. And I said, that is absolutely incorrect. You know what these signs are? These are signs that women are worth it. And I have to have the backbone to continue forward. That's what this sign is. This is the sign to test, to your point, my resilience and my fortitude and how much do I believe in this? And when I went to meet with these investors, I was un- I was really unapologetic. I said to them, you have an opportunity now to make more money with this asset than you're ever going to make, right? Because they're capitalistic. And I said, but what you should care about is that I care about this both capitalistically, but with a fanatical mission in my heart and my mind where I'm never going to give up which was good because they believed it. So resilience and that passionate commitment um, also led you to intuitively say that your soul purpose is also your soul, S-O-U-L. So, but you're in the hardcore financial, you know, pharma business. How did you convince your board to sign on to this purpose at the center, because that's really hard for entrepreneurs. It's very hard and it's incredibly hard and harder than anybody could 
recognized. So thank you for saying that because look, some of these boards, they have a huge fiduciary responsibility, right? You just have to deliver shareholder return. But for me, I said to them, I will never be able to attract the kind of quality people that I need just with a paycheck. In today's society, extraordinary people, they can get a job anywhere. They're not going to come just for a paycheck. Yes, they want to be financially valued, but they need to do something bigger than that, more than that. And so when I said to the board, I said, look, I want to promise you, okay, if I didn't love the mission... I could make money somewhere else. This is too hard of a slog, okay? I'm doing this for both reasons, but I need to attract people like me. And so what was so the board and I said, look, if I attract people that are just in this for the money, they are never going to have the benevolence, right? They're not going to have the EQ. They're not going to be able to attract people who are going to stay through the bad times because there's always bad times. And usually what happens in bad times is people leave, they flee. And Carol we have had nobody leave on their own volition. That's amazing. We've, we've asked some people to leave, <laughs> right, right. But, but not very many, by the way, but a handful of the bad eggs. But what's been amazing is that everyone has stayed. And I got to tell you one other side thing. This actually made me have tears in my eyes. When we were having a hard time making ends meet financially and raising money, because a lot of people didn't want to believe in women's health, I had staff members proactively come to me and tell me how long they would they could go without a paycheck before they could stop paying the bills at home. Like offering to forego their pay because they love Evofem so much, which is pretty amazing. That is, that is pretty, and I'm glad that intuitively you know about the war for talent. Thanks for joining us on this fascinating discussion about how do you create a product from a dream, Evofem, and its extraordinary CEO, Sandra Pelletcher. Please join us next week when we talk about how do you get the word out when you don't have millions and millions of dollars of advertising support. We'll also learn about Sandra's personal healthcare challenge, one that was so large that it would have likely deterred most people, but not Sandra. So tune in next week. Fexi is a non-hormonal birth control used before sex to prevent pregnancy. Don't use Fexi if you have problems with your urinary tract or a history of repeated UTIs. Common side effects are vaginal burning, itching, infection, discharge, UTIs, genital area discomfort, bacterial vaginosis, or pain while urinating. Fexi does not protect against STIs.